Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another day, and the Eagles have a short turnaround as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 420. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell to share our thoughts on what is still the lone undefeated team in the NFL, your Philadelphia Eagles, who now sit at 7-0 after Sunday's win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. In a lot of ways, this was the Eagles' most decisive win with outstanding play on both sides of the football. Plenty to hit on. We will touch on it all in today's show. Now, before we get there, a couple things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you walk away from this podcast every week, say, man, there's something I didn't know before. Hey, this is going to really help me enjoy this game on Sunday. Or, hey, I didn't think about this in previous ways the way I will now, thanks to listening uh, to Fran and Greg. If that's something that happens to you on a weekly basis, the best way to pass back is to go on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. Comment. If you have a question that you want from us to answer, leave it. We'll answer it here in an upcoming show. We've got one of those later in the episode. Uh, also, uh, make sure you check out all of our other All-22 analysis content, the All-22 review, the Hyundai drive of the game, obviously Eagles game plan as well. That said, let's get into Chalk Talk. It's time now to catch up with Greg Cosell. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, excited to welcome in uh, Greg Cosell from NFL Films. And, Greg, uh, let's talk through this big win, Eagles winning over the Pittsburgh Steelers. I I thought this was as dominant and convincing and decisive a win uh, as this team has had on both sides of the football. Uh, We could start with the Eagles offense. I guess uh, for you, walking away from watching the film, uh, what was your, like, number one thing? Like, all right, this is is what my gut is telling me walking away from this tape. Well, it didn't surprise me their approach at all because I I knew the Steelers' secondary was going to be an issue. So we had talked uh, a number of times back early in the season, that two-week stretch where they threw the ball so much in the first half, and they basically did that again in this game. And that made perfect sense to me. I mean, Hertz had 25 dropbacks in the first half. There were only five called runs. Uh, He was 15 for 22 for 191 yards and three touchdowns. So they obviously saw on tape that – This is a vulnerable pass defense. Witherspoon was back. Sutton is probably a better slot corner than he is an outside corner. But Mollett's probably been their best corner all year, so he's staying in the slot. So, you know, I think that they felt going into this game that this specific opponent you could attack with the passing game. And that was the approach that they took. And I thought that stood out immediately, you know. Because as you know, unlike you, I'm watching Red Zone when I'm home watching the the, the one o'clock games. And so I'm not necessarily watching each and every play. And it occurred to me, I'm I'm sort of early in the second quarter and I'm saying to myself, I don't recall seeing too many runs here. No. You know, so, uh, yeah. And then I kind of looked at the numbers and, and, you know, when I finished the half and I was, I was, well, yeah, there you go. There weren't, there weren't very many runs at all in the first half. 
Well, and that's the thing. I know coming out of the locker room, it was like, oh, Miles Sanders only carried the ball three times. Now, um, part of that, too, was just like sheer volume of plays. When you have, uh, what was it, three <coughs> touchdown passes that are over 30 yards, um, right. you know, that, that you're, they only had 30 offensive plays in the first half. So uh, that is going to affect it a little bit, but clearly very pass heavy. Um, you know, and Jalen, look, he, he made some outstanding throws uh, in this game, uh, especially those two deep balls to, uh, to A.J. Brown down the right sideline. I mean, th- those were as, about oh, yeah. as well placed as it could be. <laughs> You couldn't have made you could have handed it to him any better. And then hey, when you're seven and oh, you need a little luck. You need the first touchdown where you make the wrong read and yep. you throw it up for grabs and it should have been picked off and you get a touchdown. You need those sometimes too. That's right. Sometimes uh what is it what is the saying? Sometimes it's better be lucky than good. Um, yeah, but I mean <laughs> the, the the two others to Brown, you couldn't have handed the ball any better to Brown. Those were just sweet throws. No, absolutely. The, the placement was outstanding. Great job um, with AJ, obviously securing the ball. He's been so efficient on those downfield throws, and you can't always count on that. Those balls, uh, typically, especially, especially the goal balls down the sideline. I mean, those are those are tough to complete. And so, when you have a player like AJ Brown who has been as efficient on those throws as he has been, that is that can be such a huge boost to your passing game. Now, uh, you know, Greg, the, just the, a quick the, the point. Thing- I thought on the on the, the first one down the sideline, which I guess was the second touchdown. Yeah, you know, little things matter as you're going as you continue playing and you want to get better and better you know I thought Gainwell did a really nice job stepping up inside to pick up an A-gap blitzer because they lined up the Steelers in that double mug look you know we've seen hey it's not necessarily a difficult thing mentally because everybody knows how you block a double mug look but you still have to execute it physically Mm. and you know little things like that are always sort of overlooked when when there's so much excitement about a long touchdown yeah, and honestly, I thought Miles Sanders had a couple of really good blitz pickups in this game as well, uh, Greg. When you look at uh, just the, the running backs overall, I thought that really showed up. That was one of my big notes uh, taking that down because uh, Jalen Hurts was outstanding against the blitz. I, I believe yep. our our friend Ron Jaworski posted those uh, those stats on Twitter. Um, what Jalen was against the blitz and uh, look, they they sent the they sent extra rushers at him. Uh, I think it was over sixty percent of the time, and Quite that was something you and I you and I talked about that last week. Was like they were middle of the pack Pittsburgh in terms of blitz percentage, but we felt we would probably see a little bit more from a pressure standpoint because that was an area where the Eagles had kind of struggled in terms of being explosive when pressured, and uh, the Eagles had answers for that in this game. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing that really struck me about that that 27-yard touchdown, the second one to Brown, the first one down the right sideline, was, and, and this is where coaching comes into play and where coaches understand other coaches. They anticipated pressure on that play because, as you recall, they had Goddard lined up in the backfield. And yep. you rarely see that. So that told me right away, as soon as I saw that play, uh, you know, before it even happened, I said, okay, it's third down. They're anticipating pressure. Yep. And obviously, you know, because coaches know what other coaches are going to do for the most part in given situations. Uh, you know, as you mentioned too, with Jalen Hurts, uh, only a couple of runs. Uh, one of them was by design. One of them a scramble uh, in this game. He did take a couple of sacks that uh, you would categorize as him running, uh, where he did uh, uh, try and scramble and make a play and was tackled behind the line of scrimmage. But um, overall, uh, his willingness to kind of work through the pocket and try and beat this team uh, with his arm did stand out to me. I think for me, from a from a game plan standpoint, Greg, what I love so much is that uh, just a, a ton of change ups off of their staple concepts. I mean, you saw uh, fake screens 
screens that led to touchdown. You saw fake, fake quarterback sneaks that led to first downs, uh, fake RPOs. You had a lot of unbalanced looks just to kind of throw the defense off where, all right, now pre-snap, they're worried about how they're going to align up front. And then before you know it, bam, it's uh, <coughs> your, your basic RPO uh, to the flat with Dallas Goddard, right? Like uh, a lot of just wrinkles off of their staple concepts and change-ups off of their fastballs. Just uh, I thought it was a really impressive game plan and well-executed from the Eagles offense. Yeah, no, it was, it was a strong offensive performance. Uh, Hurts, you know, overall threw the ball really, really well, and uh, they were very aggressive. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you're right about certain things. I mean, the Pascal 30, 40-yard touchdown obviously came, uh, you know, on, on the, the fake screen look to Goddard on the outside, and Pascal was wide open on the route, and it was that was pitch and catch. Um, you know, the other the other play that I thought was, uh, uh, was really nice was um, – you know, I talked about empty. With I thought they'd be an empty even a little more than they were because studying the Steelers leading up to this game, I, the Steelers had faced the second most empty snaps in the league coming mm. into this game, and they were not very good defending it. Um, and the Steel, uh, the Eagles, I believe, had six empty snaps, and Hertz was five for five, um, uh, including the 43-yarder to Brown, which um, – you know, I thought it was a really nicely designed high-low concept to the twin side. Um, and, and, of course, Brown was wide open. It was pitch and catch. Yep. Yeah, I think that that's uh, just the, the way they were able to scheme things up. Uh, again, just a, a really impressive showing here from the <clears throat> offensive staff uh, and obviously well executed from everybody across the line of scrimmage. Um, yeah, and I think, look, when you look at the offensive line, more of the same um, from that group, particularly on the right side. I thought Lane Johnson was excellent in this game. Jason Kelsey, uh, more of the same um, from him. Let's go over to the defensive well, it's side. It's just funny well. you say that because Johnson, there was one time he got beat to the high side, and I had to watch the play like two or three times because I said to myself, God, I don't remember him getting beat like ever. You know, it's one of those, you know, where I'm, and, and I couldn't believe it, you know, and it wasn't a terrible beat. It wasn't like he got killed, but I was like, oh my God, he yeah. actually didn't just stone the guy right away. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and it was one of those two. I was as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, like you know, just in terms of the timing of the drop, like was Jalen supposed to step up a little bit further on that play? Um, you know, just kind of you know the play the I'm the talking drop. about. Yeah, obviously, so you, yeah, it was honestly it could it could have been a touchdown because uh, you had Quez Watkins. It looked like that was the they were going to hit Quez. I no, that was, was the one the where Watkins they they kind of. Uh, I thought they may have busted the coverage a little. I don't, you know, sometimes with these sort of hybrid zone coverages, you're it's uncertain tough, yeah. at times. Um, but yeah, they, he definitely had Watkins. It was second and eight on the second possession, and there was a big play to be made. Yep. But uh, I, I, I type, but right tackle Johnson for maybe the first time this season was beaten to the high side, and Reed hit hit Hurts arm slash ball on the release. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was uh, definitely something that, that caught my eye as well. One, um, one final thing, and then we'll go to yeah. the defense is Hurts is and it, the whole offense, but it starts with the quarterback, obviously. He's been excellent on third down this season. And yeah, I think no doubt. That, that really speaks to both the scheming and the execution of the schemes. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when uh, when you look at it again, like you said, like the game plan on a weekly basis has been so good. But a number of those changeups I talked about earlier happened on third and fourth down. And just uh, again, like when you when you have an identity, and that's one of the goals of self scouting during the bye week is okay, what what do we do well? How do we further accentuate what we do well? So that's like the the example of um, you know that fourth and goal, the fourth and two uh, RPO flat route to Dallas Goddard. We talked about how often they hit that route uh, against the Dallas Cowboys, right? Um, it's all right. Well, what can we do to kind of add another wrinkle to that? All right, well, let's go with an unbalanced line. Uh, and now they've got to think about oh all the different things you can do from a run run pass standpoint with the different strengths along the the, uh, the right side of the formation. Let them worry about how they're going to line up. And then oh by the way, here we go. We're going to go backside here on this simple uh, RPO. 
RPO, curl flat. Um, but then also the uh, the fake QB sneak, like you mentioned, all right, it's going to be a little toss out to Miles Sanders or uh, the fake screen to, to Dallas Goddard and go over the top to Zach Paschal. Just to, again, just kind of adding layers and wrinkles right. uh, to what they do. It was, it was an impressive day for sure, um, you know, on third and fourth down, but really across the board <clears throat> for this Eagles offense. Um, and I, I thought, honestly, Greg, just going over to the defensive side, we saw some adjustments uh, defensively as well. A, a spike in some stunts. We saw two sacks come off stunts. Yeah. The Eagles have run less stunts than anybody uh, in the NFL, and, and they changed that uh, this week. Uh, there was a little bit of an adjustment from no, that No, that first sack was beautiful. I mean, that that first sack, you know, with uh, and just the way they lined up and they're five, you know, they're a team that that is playing a ton of nickel. I think they're third or fourth in the NFL in, in, in nickel percentage of overall defensive snaps. and you know, I thought that it showed up on that first third and long first possession, third and nine, you know, just the, the way they lined up. Cox was a wide nine with sweat. Graham was the weak side three technique. You, you had Reddick inside as a stand up, basically a four I three technique, whatever you want to call them. Yep. And just a beautifully executed inside stunt with Reddick looping behind both the one technique, Hargrave and Graham. And, you know, obviously they got it. The right guard Daniels did not come off Graham. Reddick was clean through the A gap. I mean, that, that that's a film piece for us in the matchup show. I mean, that was about as beautifully executed as you could do it. And, and that's one of those things. It's like, you know, those Pittsburgh offensive linemen, that's not a a, a front or like a, a stunt that they've never seen before, but that's an unscouted look from the Eagles that they, they have not put that on tape. So coming in, like there, that, there's a reason no, why that's... he comes in, Scott Clean, is that, yeah, well, they, they have not shown that they're willing to do that. So that was not, uh, you know, in, in the no, practice well, that's report the thing. over the course I of the mean, week. It's easy to sit here and say, well, Daniels has to come off that. That's his responsibility. But you're right. They had not shown that I recall. I, I know you – I don't uh, think so. I really don't think they have at yeah, all. I mean, yeah, you're, you're you're studying the Eagles in, in greater detail than I am because I have to get through as many teams and games as I can every week. But, but I don't recall seeing that particular front look with Reddick where he is. And, I mean, Cox has lined up as a wide nine of course. times this year. But I, I don't recall that particular front look. Yeah, and they did run it a handful of times in this game. Yep. That was the, the first time they ran it. It was the first third down. It resulted in the sack for Reddick. They ran it, I believe, three times in total uh, in the game. But I think um, you're right. It was all third one. down. Yep. You know, and then you know they've got the these these two. They they've got two five man fronts. One I call their base five man front, yep. and I know Jordan Davis will be out now, but I mean one has Jordan Davis in it, and then they've got that sort of pass nickel front, which is you know obviously has the pass rushers and. Um, uh, you know, and they've been doing more of that. So they're essentially becoming a little bit of a five-man D-line. Now, they still play a lot of 4-2 nickel uh, yep. with White and Edwards, but but I think that five-man front's really interesting, particularly with the addition of Quinn as well, because you start working all those inside stunts, and maybe this is a precursor of things to come, Fran, because then you get one-on-ones on the outside. And, mm. and you know, I think you feel pretty good about that. Well, and that was the thing was that on that play, on that sack by Reddick, like Josh Sweat, if 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 Reddick doesn't come in clean, I think Josh Sweat gets the sack anyway. Like he he got to, right. to pick it just about at the same time. Uh, Reddick got there just a, like a tick earlier, but um, and that's the thing is when you leave those guys one on one, they've got the ability to win as well. And so uh, that's what you know makes the, the this group so scary is that you've got those guys that have that ability to win one on one. Which speaking of which, um, before we get into some of the other things we saw, I'd love to get your thoughts just on the addition of Robert Quinn. He played, I believe, it was. 19 or 20 snaps uh, in this game. It wasn't like he was uh, super impactful, but still still getting his feet wet uh, with the scheme, with the system, with the rotation. But uh, what are your thoughts just on adding a guy like Robert Quinn into this rotation at right defensive end? Well, you know, I think that as you and I both know, he's at his best as a high side rusher. He still can bend. He still has burst. Um, I think 
we'll see more of these kinds of fronts because it will give him an opportunity to work one-on-one. And I think you'll see that. I think in this game, I, I think he pr- pretty much played every snap that he did play in that, in that sort of past nickel front. Am I correct? I don't remember him in any of the base fronts, but I, I don't believe be so. Yeah. I think that yeah. was, the, I think that's where he was limited to was just in, in that package. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, if they'll see him playing because obviously they have a very good defensive line with a lot of depth. Now, obviously with Davis being out, I don't know, you know, what that'll, what that'll dictate as far as when they play their base front, their base five man front, you know, I don't know uh, what, what they'll do, but the what, point what, are is, your, is that, what are your thoughts on what they could do there? I, I, I kind of look at it in a couple different ways and it just depends on how they feel, you know, and again, I, I want to stress this for our listeners is that it's not just as simple as, Oh, well, who's the next defensive tackle in the rotation? All of these packages that Greg and I are talking about, uh, they, they, they all have different depth charts. And so when you get into that five man nickel front versus that five man base front, those are different different depth charts. And so I think we will diff- see different solutions. But, uh, Greg, what are your thoughts just in terms of the personnel of how they could kind of uh, well, I know, think manage the, that? To me, the logical choice, but again, I'm not in the building, you know, so I'm not in the meetings. The logical choice is, is for Hargrave in that front to become, the, you know, the no shade. Which is what he did that, last year, yep. What's that, do you see it that way as well? That that is what he that he played that role last year when they went yes, into those fronts. Yes. And so, um, you know, the, to me, then it then becomes – what do you feel is your best uh, your best package in there? Is if do we want to keep Hargrave uh, as more of the 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 uh, defensive tackle in that spot and not the nose and put Marlon Tuipilotu there? Uh, you have Marvin Wilson on the practice squad as well, or do you move Hargrave inside and, and now make, it's and make, and make Brandon Graham Williams, or Milton Williams that and then slides make in? Milton Williams the three technique four eye and the five man base front, yep. which he's more than capable of playing. I know he's been fighting through injuries this year, so he hasn't had as many impactful plays as he did as a rookie a year ago, but he's certainly capable of doing that. Yeah, I think that'll be that'll be something certainly to watch uh, on Thursday night. And I think we're going to get a, a little bit of a, a peek at that because uh, not to get too far into the Houston discussion, but uh, Houston loves to play a lot of base personnel offensively. Oh. And so uh, I think you'll, you'll see plenty of exact. All right, how are the Eagles going to play against base personnel? We're going to get that answer. Uh, I think and, and, you know, just one thing early. to keep in mind, short week, Williams has done that. You know, they may not, it's not a week to start with a whole new deal with someone right. who hasn't done a lot of it. So yep. it wouldn't surprise me if that's the solution for this Thursday night. And yep. then depending on how that goes, then they have extra time to play around before they, you know, they play 10 days later. Yeah. Uh, well, real quick, uh, Greg, before we put the, this defensive performance to bed, um, uh, well, you, you mentioned Hargrave. Yeah, there's a couple other things we got to talk about. Yeah. I mean, number, number one, one I, dude, Hargrave was awesome in this game. He was yeah. so, so good. And I don't think he'd been playing great up to this point, by the way. Yeah, he, I thought run game, pass game, um, was he was excellent uh, here against his former team. But I, I got it. The, the Eagles secondary may be playing as well as any secondary in the NFL right now, and yeah. I probably see more than you see, you know, just because of what I do. Um, I think Slay and, and Bradbury are playing all coverages at a high level, and I think safeties Epp and Gardner-Johnson are both aware, instinctive players. You know, right from the first play of the game, I love the way Epps, and he's done this all year, just has a savvy and a feel for when to play downhill with aggression in the run game. Yeah. I mean, the first play of the game, I know uh, probably Davis might have gotten credit for the tackle because he made a very nice move to yep. beat the center call. He was one-gapping but, on that play, Greg. Yeah, I know, I know. Which we um, haven't seen. But, That's another little a little change up yeah, from the Eagles defense. Um, but, but the way Epps just hit it, with great timing and basically beat Claypool to the spot because Claypool weighs four, you know, 30 pounds more than, than Epps, but he beat him to the spot and he, he kind of blew him up. And, and, you know, Epps has been doing that all year. You know, I think he's a really good player. 
I think that is the, uh, we, I think we've said this before, I think that is the area where his game has spiked the most in the last three years has been playing downhill. He's always been a really good athlete. He can make plays on the ball, but him playing down towards the line of scrimmage as a top-down defender and then even being more comfortable playing close to the line of scrimmage he's being asked to do uh, in this split safety yeah. scheme. Time and time again, that has shown up. He made a couple of plays in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage in this one that if you're if you're sitting here watching this team and saying, oh, like Marcus Epps is not good playing downhill, I just, I'm, not, I'm not sure what you're seeing because he has been the opposite of that so far this year no their secondary has been really really good really how, good dude how good was that pass breakup by Darius Slay I think it was the second quarter uh on the comeback route from Deontay Johnson outside oh the that was phenomenal because that was actually thrown with perfect timing yes you know? and 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 Slay I mean he never got out of any pedal he was literally was in his hip pocket the whole route yeah it was unbelievable he ran the route better than Deontay Johnson played over the top and threw it was just an outstanding play, outstanding break on the ball. That was really the only time uh, he was thrown at. Um, they, they, James Bradbury, I mean, they saw something where they were like, all right, we're going to just try double move after double move after double move on Bradbury. Uh, they beat him on one that was incomplete, and then they tried a bunch of others, and he was he just sat on top of all of them, and uh, you know, nothing really completed his way uh, after that point. So, yeah, this secondary is playing well. I, I really I wrote down Avante Maddox as well in this, in this game, Greg. He is so good at playing in traffic with bodies around him and just like a magnet for the football. There was the a blitz in the second half where you saw him kind of navigate with all the bodies around him and make a play. Uh, he took uh, took down a couple of screens this week where he had to play through contact uh, and get into the flat and make a play. Uh, Maddox has been playing so, so well as well. Yeah, no, it's it's that, that stands out to me literally every game. I think they're playing at a really high level. So now you have a great combination of of pressure and coverage, and that's exactly what you want. Yep. And, you know, you can see with Jonathan Gannon that, you know, with all these toys now that he has and he feels comfortable, you're seeing a little more disguise, a little more late rotation. You're seeing some very interesting ways to get to cover two. Um, he's just doing more things. Whereas last year, he had one goal. We're not going to give up big plays. That was it. Yep. Now you're seeing them be so much more proactive and aggressive in how they're playing. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the Pittsburgh offense was one for 12 on third down. Yep. Uh, their, their only touchdown of the and, game. And by came... the way, that conversion was a sneak. Yeah, right. It was a sneak yeah. in the first quarter. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? So, like, uh, you know, I know they converted a couple times on fourth down, but you know, one of them was after the the Brandon Grant penalty on the uh, the field goal block. Uh, one came on a fake punt, right? Like, so there's just uh, all these. It was like, yeah, like th this defense just played. So six sacks, three takeaways. Um, you know, I love the way they're running to the football as well, and that's where I kind of get hung up sometimes, Greg. Too is that people talk about the turnovers that this defense is causing. It's like, oh well, you know, I don't know. Is that sustainable? Are they gonna the way that this group plays? They're going. They're not gonna make every single play that comes their way, but you're putting yourself in position to make those plays because of the way uh, that the, they play on the football field. A number of times, I was just writing how often you saw an extra man running in, uh, whether it was Hargrave, uh, Reddick, Cox, Milton Williams, TJ Edwards, uh, Kaiser White, guys just always flying yeah. the football. And when you play that way, good things are going to happen. No, I, I agree. I mean, they're, they're just playing at a high level right now. All right, well, let's get over to uh, this Houston Texans team, Greg, who the Eagles are going to see now. Uh, on a short week, the Texans falling to the Tennessee Titans. Um, you know, one of my big notes coming in uh, to this game uh, against Tennessee was that this run defense uh, is really struggling right now. Uh, that continued against Derrick Henry. Uh, Malik Willis getting his first start against Houston. But um, they're just really struggling to, to be able to get stops right now in the run game. They're giving up a ton before contact. They're missing a lot yep. of tackles, uh, giving up a ton of explosive runs. So uh, defensively right now, Right now, uh, Lovey Smith's unit is struggling from that standpoint. Yeah, and I don't think their linebackers are playing particularly well. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think Harris is now getting, you know, he's now the starter. Obviously, he's healthy. Yeah. Uh, Christian Harris, third round pick from Alabama. Now got his yeah, first Yeah. And yep. I think he's struggling a bit with sort of the key and diagnose part of playing stack backer in the NFL. Um, and it, it, it'll probably come, you know, we both liked him coming out of Alabama. He's a really yep. good athlete, good size, moves well. Um, you know, we'll see how much base they play against the, the Eagles because the Eagles, you know, obviously can be in 11, they could be in 12. Whereas when you play Tennessee, you're playing in base a lot. Yes. Um, but, uh, uh, so we'll see, because obviously Harris and Kirksey are their nickel linebackers. They do not play dime. They have not played one snap of dime this year. Yep. King has actually played pretty well as their slot corner this year. I think Stingley's been solid. There have been some games this year where he has been a matchup corner, but not every week. Um, so, uh, and, and you know, they've got uh, our old buddy Steven Nelson on the other side. Had a nice pick uh, this week. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're not a high percentage blitz defense. Nope. Uh there's no mystery to what they do defensively. They're yeah, one of those teams. It's, this it's is an, an, ex, an, an execution defense, Greg. It's an execution defense. They, yeah. you know, Lovey Smith has been that way his whole career. You know, you rush for, you, you, you play solid coverage. You make the offense work. The problem is when you can't get to the quarterback with four, there's so many holes in zone. And, and this idea that, Hey, everything's in front of you doesn't necessarily apply if you can't get to the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, the the, um, the big thing that stood out to me, they, they play a ton of, t- of cover two, a bunch of Tampa two, like you yep. mentioned, and a lot of the big plays they've given up, they're they're not. They're not the guys underneath are not getting great depth, and so the, a lot of the soft spots in that Tampa two yep. teams have just been abusing those soft spots and coverage. Now it benefits the Eagles that they just played a team in the Pittsburgh Steelers that also happened to be a, a very high volume cover two team, and so a lot of the stuff that you know they used in this game plan I think can carry over uh, into what you're going to use against Houston, obviously with some tweaks. But um, I think that that's kind I of think, been one of the sore spots. There. I think there's so many things you can do against cover two, yeah. and and. I'll be very surprised if they can generate pass rush pressure against this whole line. Mm. So I think you're going to see some really well-schemed stuff on Thursday night. Um, You know, look, again, this is all these comments you and I make are based on tape study, but you know, I I think that the free safety position is a big question mark. Owens has been the starter. He got benched in this game and then came back. Then they also, he got Murray played. Then they put Stewart there a little bit. I mean, they're struggling there. Petrie is, is, He's kind of a fun player to watch because he he does show up a lot on tape, but I don't know if he's a true safety in a strict sense. He's just a very, very active player. Yep. Um, you know, so, you know, this is something we talked about as much as we both liked his college tape. You weren't sure exactly what he is. And I, I don't know, even watching him on tape, and I've seen the Texans defense in almost every game this year, amazingly enough. Um <laughs> I'm still not sure exactly what he is, other than the fact that he's very active and shows up. Yeah. But, you know, I I don't know what he is in pass coverage. Well, and that's, I think, the the big thing for them. You know, this is a team that, obviously, uh, with the trade of Deshaun Watson, they've got a huge war chest of picks that they're going to continue to use. They had two first-round picks uh, this yep. past year. Uh, one of them spent on Stingley, who uh, I think, look – it has not been like perfect for him, but it rarely is for a rookie corner. Um, so He's I think player, saying, you, see, you, you are seeing the traits, and this kid's going to be a good player uh, for them yeah. moving forward. I think you've seen enough from Petrie to think like, okay, like he's definitely someone that I think we can count on. Maybe he's not a a blue chip like pure like you're saying a, a traditional safety, but this is a guy that can do a lot of different things for us if we want to be uh, if we want right. to be multiple in our coverage schemes and our usage of that player. Um, you know, who knows? Like maybe he becomes what Desmond King has turned into, and you know, when you move on from King, he kind of steps into that role. But right. 
right. you know, opposite those two guys in the back end and the back seven, they just haven't gotten enough production. Uh, Kamu Gurje no. Hill, the former Eagle, he was like their leading tackler or second leading tackler. They parted ways with him um, this just uh, last week. So Christian Harris has stepped in. They're not getting enough from the uh, up front from a defensive line standpoint either. Uh, those guys are getting moved in the run game. So um, you know, I think that right now you kind of know what the like like you said. I think that you know what they want what they want to be defensively. It's not going to be a lot of blitzing. It's not going to be a lot of stunting. Uh, they're going to play a lot of cover two. They're going to uh, you know basically line up and say, all right, well, we're going to out execute you from a defensive standpoint. But um, I do want to ask you though about this offense because I think that they've got some players that uh, you know kind of like what we were talking about. Hey, we, with Stingley and with Petrie, uh, we kind of know what are these are guys that we can build with moving forward. I kind of think on offense, they, they have a couple of those guys as well. Um, certainly the running back, Damian Pierce, has really, really flashed. He's been one of the leading rushers. Uh, only ran for, what was it, like 38 yards this past week against Tennessee, but has been very, very productive uh, so far in, in this young season. Um, and Davis Mills, he impresses me. I, I kind of like Davis Mills with what we've seen from him uh, so yeah, far this year. I, I would say this, and I like Davis Mills as well. I think there's some inconsistencies in his game, but yeah. You know, I think their offense is much like their defense, Fran. I don't think it's overly multiple when it comes yep. to personnel and formations. It's another execution-based offense that demands high-level execution in all areas, protection, receivers winning one-on-one -on -one or finding voids, and Mills making precise ball placement throws with consistency. They don't do a lot. They play a ton out of base personnel. Yep. They're not that diverse formationally. Um, again, I we're not there. I don't know the reason for that, but – you know, I feel like Davis Mills, and again, neither you nor I are saying he's a top five quarterback in the league, but he can make throws and he looks good throwing the ball. And you see certain throws and you go, wow, this guy can really throw it. Um, but I just think their offense is sometimes makes it a little schematically tough. Um, it doesn't present a lot of defined reads and throws, in my view. I mean, I don't know what you think. I think there's more to be gotten there. Yeah, and they they also just from a playmaker standpoint. I mean, Brandon Cooks is is Brandon Cooks. Uh, he's uh, he's been a good player for a long time. Uh, Nico Collins, a really intriguing kind of pure height weight speed player. Yeah, is he going to be able to go this week? Do we know? That's what it's still unknown at this point, especially with the short week. Um, but that, that's uh, certainly someone you have to account for if he does go. Uh, you mentioned we talked about how they like to play from base personnel, so you're going to see all three of those tight ends: Brevin Jordan, OJ Howard, and Jordan Akins. Um, you know, Chris Moore uh, plays a decent amount for them at wide receiver. <laughs> I mean, a lot of this week maybe because Collins was out, there were a lot of, there were not a lot, some third downs in which they played with two tight ends. Yeah. I mean, I think that that would probably be something we would see if, if Nico can't go uh, here in this one, but certainly I think they, they, regardless, like they're going to want the run game to get going. They're going to want Pierce to get going. And I just real quick, just give our listeners just a, a scouting report. If they weren't following along on the journey of the draft podcast, uh, all through the spring, you wouldn't be aware of Damian Pierce, but uh, for, for those that are new, uh, give us a, a scouting report on Pierce. Well, I think Pierce is, is he's a tough, physical, competitive, urgent runner, phenomenal contact balance, great finishing traits, um, really uh, has some 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 looseness to him. He has some some lateral agility and quickness. He can stop and start. He can reaccelerate. You know, ever since I had a conversation and you and I have talked about this before with um, Fred Taylor on the floor of the combine before the pandemic talking about running back traits. And he obviously knows more about that than I do since he was a pretty damn good running back himself. And we spent five minutes talking about the whole concept of reacceleration to confined space. 
whenever I watch backs now, I see that as such an important trait because, you know, if you're to be a great runner in the NFL, you can't make a living running on the perimeter. You're going to have to run where the bodies are and you have to have the ability to reaccelerate because you can't just fly through there at breakneck speed. You know, there's people who are going to slow you down. And I think Pierce has that ability. You know, you wouldn't call him purely explosive in the sense that a burner is purely explosive, but he's got some juice to him. Yeah, to me, like it's it's almost like what I, I say this all the time with all other positions is like play through contact. And he obviously is one of those oh. violent runners that can play through contact. It's not just even just that, but also like after you make a cut, do you have like the twitch and the explosive yep. traits in your body to then he like reaccelerate? And he he absolutely has that. He, there are yep. some runs that, and maybe they, it went for eight yards or eleven yards, and it's like okay, first down, but not like a right. that's not going to show up on Sports Center top ten. Uh, but he has he's had a bunch of those this year, and like man, like that guy's he's got something to him, uh, especially in their zone schemes. No, I, and they they're predominant zone, not a hundred percent, but they're predominant zone. Um, you know what I? It's funny because I, I watch their offense. I think every week as well. Um, and and I, here's something I typed last week. I just went back as we're talking and looked at my notes. And Pierce has the traits of a feature back with his size and running skill set. He can stop and start and reaccelerate, and he is naturally powerful with excellent contact balance and strong finishing traits. You know, and you can even say more. But I think that you know that to me really stands out when you watch him. Mm. Uh, real quickly before we wrap up, just talking through this offensive line. Um, Laramie Tunsil, one of the best pass protectors in football yep. at left tackle. Uh, the Eagles uh, and Texans, people may remember, they were the, t- the the teams that traded in the first round this past year when the Eagles moved up to select Jordan Davis. It was the Texans that they switched spots with. And in that spot where the Eagles initially were picking, they took left guard Kenyon Green uh, out of Texas A&M. Uh, Greg, he's he's kind of struggled uh, this year, run uh, game and, and well, pass game. <laughs> yes, he has struggled yes. overall. And this week, he uh, he got Jeffrey a little Simmons, yeah. bit yes. of welcome to the NFL yes, with he, Jeffrey he Simmons, who's the strongest did. interior defensive tackle in the league. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have no problem saying that. Yeah. You know, he he's different than Aaron Donald, yep. so I'm not going to sit here and say he's better than Aaron Donald, but he's the strongest. Yep. I mean, he just is country strong, and he just had a number of of individual one-on-ones with green where he just moved him yeah, and green's about six four three twenty five he's not a little guy no he's not uh simmons uh, definitely got the best of that and um you know they've had some issues across the board as well at center right guard right tackle question yeah. at center their uh, own line is right and, and and that's where mills needs some work because mills you know even though we both like the way he throws the ball you know mills there's too many snaps in which he can't make that timing and rhythm throw and he gets stuck without a defined read and throw and he doesn't move comfortably within the pocket yet. He's going to need to further develop and refine that trait to extend. And when I mean extend, I don't mean to leave the pocket, but I mean to just move comfortably so he could find a little space to deliver the football. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's uh, look when you look at the trenches, uh, that's going to be an area where we talk yep. about every single week. Hey, the Eagles can go and win this matchup because of the way they're built, uh, and I think that that's going to be on the table uh, once again on both sides of the football. Uh, yep. Something we will potentially talk about uh, next week, uh, right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Greg, thanks so much for joining us once again for Chalk Talk. Thanks, Fran. Appreciate it. Great stuff from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, leave us a rating, and even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to someone who did exactly that. SRM Chef left a five-star review saying, Fran, uh, you're the best. Thanks so 
much for the great insight. Can you explain the team's perspective on the running back position? They are always connected on trade rumors and running back is considered a target. I'm curious about why Trey Sermon is not utilized more. I know pass protection is important. Is that, is that aspect lacking in his game? He seems like he could be very effective hitting the holes this offensive line establishes and he's a bigger back. That seems likely to be a solid blocker. Why not play him over Scott or Gainwell? So, uh, Chef, I would say... Uh, a few different things there. Uh, number one, when it comes to like trade rumors and stuff, um, you always have to understand what the, who's, who's the source, right? So understand you take that part of it aside. Uh, but then number two, uh, look, the Eagles have established they're going to be involved. They're going to check in on any kind of trade situation around the NFL. They're always going to do their due diligence. Howie Roseman has said that time and time and time again. So you can expect that that is going to be the case uh, with this football team, especially when you're uh, really at all stages of the team building process, you're going to do this. But especially when you're a team like the Eagles, hey, if Robert Quinn's available, all right, what's it going to take to get this done? Uh, and if it's if the price is too big, well, then you're, you're going to wait. You're going to see uh, if that's something you can wait on. So I think at the end of the day, uh, you know that that's going to be something you're going to see from this Eagles football team. Uh, and as far, as far as Trey Sermon, look, this is a guy that uh, is still getting kind of incorporated into this Eagles scheme. Um, you know, the, the size is certainly there. The small, small flashes we've seen of him being a downhill back, that's what we saw from him in college at both Oklahoma and Ohio State. But uh, you've got other guys here in Boston Scott and with Kenny Gainwell that know the system a little bit better. Better, uh, and if they've been with this team, they've got the ability to win in a lot of different ways. Gainwell, uh, a good pass catcher, good uh, pass protector um, as well. That showed up uh, in this game that we talked about with Greg earlier, and we know what Boston Scott uh, can do as well. So just having Trey Sermon, I think that's important depth. But look, when you have all the weapons uh, that this team has, not everybody is going to get uh, a, a decent amount of, lo- of run, right? So uh, at the end of the day, I, I think Trey Sermon, his presence is important. Having that kind of back on the depth chart is important, um, but you're not always going to be able to see uh, that guy get a ton of reps, and especially with the way Miles Sanders is running. Uh, I said I dropped a stat over on the kickoff show this week before the game. I uh, was talking with Gabriella DiGiovanni about Miles Sanders, and right now going into the Pittsburgh game, I'm not sure where it stands right now, but – 71% of Miles Sanders' uh, yards going into week eight were after contact. 71%. That is a career high when you look at it from a season-by-season standpoint. So uh, I've, I've said numerous times, I think Miles is playing the best ball of his career and hope that continues here in the final or in the second half of this season for the Eagles. So great stuff from Chef. Thank you for the question. Thank you to everybody out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week. Eagles fans, the midterm election is right around the corner. Now is the time to create your game plan to vote on November 8th. Text EAGLES to 26797 to register to vote and check your voter registration status. This year, voters will have the chance to elect officials to the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and many local and state positions. You can vote in person, by mail, or at a secure ballot drop box. If you are registered to vote in Philadelphia County, you can drop off your ballot at Lincoln Financial Field on Friday, October 28th, or on Sunday, November 6th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Our democracy is only as strong as our commitment to participate in it. Go birds and go vote.